Hello and welcome. I am Dr. Lara May, a clinical pharmacist specializing in functional medicine, as well as a certified yoga teacher and Reiki master. I run a truly integrative health coaching practice, encompassing functional medicine lab testing, yoga and meditation, and a sprinkling of Reiki energy medicine. Join me here on Light Body Radio to break through your health plateau and come into alignment with your natural vitality. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Light Body Radio. And we have a special guest today. David Krantz is back with us. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be back. Today we're going to talk about cannabis and CBD and the difference and how they're used in treatment and how you as the consumer might uh, optimize your approach to both of them. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, like you said, my name is David Krantz and uh, I'm an epigenetic coach. And that means that I help people understand how to create optimal genetic expression by putting the right foods in their bodies and putting the right, you know, using the right supplements and, and really matching all of the things that we do with our genetics. And so I, I do genetic analyses and help people just really understand their bodies at these very fine granular layers and then figure out, you know, what are the things that really are going to create health for you as an individual because your body is different than everyone else's body, you know, then we can look at these small differences and figure that out. And uh, I've been applying the same lens to cannabis and looking at why people respond differently to THC and CBD. And over the past couple of years, I've developed a genetic test with uh, my friends at Appear on Genomics and have put together a practitioner training uh, for other coaches and doctors and therapists that want to learn how to uh, do genetic analysis to understand, you know, why is it that some people respond really well to THC and why is it that some people, you know, don't. And, and also, you know, we, we can talk about all the different things you can learn, but I've been really diving into the research on, you know, what you can learn about your body through genetics and then how to use it to optimize cannabis use. Awesome. So just for if maybe someone's just starting to get curious and um, start to explore, what would be some differences of use between cannabis versus CBD? Okay, sure. So uh, CBD is one of the cannabinoids that's in cannabis. And the cannabis plant produces these chemicals, uh, these compounds that we call cannabinoids. And they're all shaped pretty similarly, but they have slightly different functions. And the one that people are most familiar with are, is probably THC, uh, which is the psychoactive component. You know, that's what gets you high um, when you smoke or ingest cannabis. And CBD is another cannabinoid that has really become popular in, in the you know, past five years or so. Um, and it's not psychoactive. It is does not produce a high, um, you get maybe some very minor shifts in the way you're feeling subjectively. Um, but it has some pretty potent effects on the body and the way that it impacts the endocannabinoid system. So 
um, you know, CBD as opposed to THC is going to be, you know, people use it more for sleep and anxiety and, and pain. And it has a very broad range of different uses. Um, and, you know, it's almost kind of absurd sometimes when you look at all of the things that people say they've used CBD for. It's like, throw a dart at a list of symptoms and you know someone has used cbd for it and that actually draw, creates a lot of skepticism right from people because mm -hmm. they're like how can this be this this miracle magic cure thing like this must be a joke um but it, it's because the endocannabinoid system is so pervasive in the body every single system in the body is connected to it and we can go a little bit more in depth and we can also talk a little bit more about why, you know, it does work for some people for some things and actually not work for other people for those same things. Uh, and, and so this is one of the reasons why, you know, people, um, you know, might be skeptical or they're, it's not so clear, like when and how it works for who uh, is because people's bodies are different. And one person might need to balance their endocannabinoid system in one way. And another people, another person might need to balance it in another way. So we can dive into all that. Um, does, does that kind of answer your question on the CBD piece? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, maybe a next good place to go to is with the endocannabinoid system and where all those fun receptors are, because they are almost, I think, ubiquitous, would not be an exaggeration throughout our body. But there are, I feel like, some specific organ systems that we can focus on to help give people a better idea, like the liver and, and the gut. And yeah. so, yeah, let's go there because I think that's something too that is becoming more like there's more and more awareness coming to it with even just the consumer about, oh, I need to be more aware of my gut health or I'm healing my gut or I have gut inflammation, blah, blah, blah. And or similarly, you know, my liver is inflamed. I've been told my liver is inflamed. How is that going to affect all this? Right. So ubiquitous is not an overstatement. Ubiquitous is a pretty, you know, apt way to describe, you know, how the endocannabinoid system fits in to the, to the rest of our body. And, you know, when we're talking about the endocannabinoid system, let's just define what that is. So um, we have these receptors in our body that are designed to match up with cannabinoids. Uh, they are what the, you know, THC binds to and interacts with. And, we also create our own cannabinoids in our body and they serve as these regulatory chemicals or compounds, um, you know, in, in the body. And so we're actually primed to work with cannabinoids. And you can think about it in that both humans and the cannabis plant co-evolved together. Yeah. And there was likely even a common ancestor between both of us that, you know, created the similar structure. And so, um, you know, we're, we're able to receive these cannabinoids from the plant, but we also create our own naturally without any, you know, uh, cannabis from, you know, or cannabinoids from external source, source. Yeah. From source, sources. And, and yeah. that's an imp really important thing for people to, to become aware of is that your body is filled with cannabinoids mm -hmm. on their own. They don't, necessarily get you high, but some of them actually do really influence mood and influence um, emotion and, and stress. And, you know, when we talk about this system being ubiquitous, um, what they found is pretty much every single cell on the human in the human body has cannabinoid receptors on it. 
there is almost nowhere in the body where this is not touching and you know interacting and you can almost think of it as this messenger system between different systems in the body so and when i'm talking about these systems i'm you know might talk about how the musculoskeletal system talks to the immune system or how the immune system talks to the nervous system or how the cardiovascular system talks to you know other systems in the body and the cannabinoid system is this really efficient messenger system and it regulates things that actually helps your synapses when you trans you uh, transmit neurotransmitters you know from one synapse to another the cannabinoid system is absolutely instrumental in shutting down that response so it's not over transmitting or under transmitting mm -hmm. there's a mm -hmm. there's kind of like a adaptogen balancing effect from having the right amount of cannabinoids and cannabinoid receptors and, and when you look at how ubiquitous this is, how you know spread throughout the body it is, that's one of the reasons why people have can use these things for so many different conditions. Because you know, say someone is low in cannabis or cannabinoid activation in their immune system, well, you know, adding some CBD or THC in might be the thing that really balances out that system and reduces inflammation. Uh, or you might have someone that has difficulty sleeping because of the way that their brain waves are firing when they're trying to go to sleep and maybe they have excess beta waves and there's uh, excess anxiety. Um, and for that person, adding the right amount of cannabinoids in might actually calm the brain down and help them sleep. Um, now, I will say that there is this aspect of balance. Uh, you can actually have too little or too much cannabinoid activation. And so that's why it's really not a one size fits all for the, the research really suggests that, you know, there are certain conditions that are associated with too many cannabinoids in the body and ones that are, you know, kind of the opposite. So this is one of the reasons I think that, you know, some people can try CBD and not experience that many effects. And there's some other reasons we'll look at as well mm -hmm. related to liver metabolism. Um, but uh, you know, at, at the same time, it, it's the reason why some people can have profound effects from using these compounds because it's it's adding something into the, their body that they're deficient in. Yeah, I think it's important even just so you've sort of alluded to it already, but that we reinforce the concept of our body functions almost like um, maybe like a choir, you know, where it's an ensemble. It is not mm -hmm. just, you know, a soloist singing one, one thing and it's not each organ system operating in a vacuum. You know, it is, we are connected. And I feel like, again, it's something that I feel like there's more of an awareness to, especially with integrative medicine becoming more in the forefront and with epigenetics and, you know, all of these awesome, amazing, things and information but western medicine still some for the most part sort of perpetuates this idea that oh if you have a liver dysfunction then we're just going to look at the liver or right. if your if your brain's not operating properly we're just going to look at your brain and so i think that's it's important for us to sort of reinforce that that this is a song with many parts and it's always moving and interconnecting and talking to each other and so you can't really just, you know, like ingest one thing and expect it to just have one effect. 
Exactly. I love that metaphor. And you might even go a step further and say that, you know, if this is a, a chorus or a song or a symphony that's being played by many different parts, um, cannabinoids can sometimes help get those parts synced up together. You yeah. know, if the, if the, uh, you know, the oboe is playing a little bit behind and like the clarinets a little bit ahead ahead in the symphony right. uh you know the, you can look at cannabinoids as kind of a conductor that they can follow a little bit better yeah. and help synchronize those things and yeah. so it's um you know again if someone's body's already pretty well synchronized it may not have that much of an effect but if there's a piece that's lagging behind and not in communication not having this nice harmony you know with other parts of the body then mm -hmm. you know these things can, can be pretty helpful yeah. Um, and so from here, I want to transition into talking about the specific liver enzymes and why, you know, uh, the dosage might be so important. And it's, I just um, had a conversation with a, a colleague of mine, and we were talking about the importance of, you know, medication therapy management from the, from the pharmacist mm -hmm. aspect in the hospital. And we are actually finding the more research that we do, it's not necessarily patient adherence, which is how closely they take their medication as directed. But a lot of the issues that we are finding are actually underdosing or not optimally dosing. And there's a lot of pharmacogenetic implications with that, that I think we're just now starting to scratch the surface of. So I wanted to talk about that piece with, with the cannabis and the CBD and, and sort of bring more awareness to to consumers about why you know they might buy a bottle that's only a hundred milligram total versus a one that's like one gram total and why that's different absolutely uh, and, and i just want to and we'll dive into that in a second but i i'm really <laughs> glad you're looking into those dynamics with underdosing or, or not using optimal dosing because it's like almost every medication is going to have those metabolic differences in the body. And when you look at what is reimbursable by insurance or standard practice of care, it's all based on what's the cheapest, you know, is mm -hmm. it's all people deciding, Hey, can we get away with not using optimal dosing if it doesn't cost us money in the long run? And it has nothing to do with actual patient care. And so, no, yeah, I mean, there's even like guideline based therapy, which we do a lot of, and there's reimbursement associated with that. But even that is the way they designed those studies to come up with those guidelines. They did not look at people's DNA and their, uh -huh. you know, <laughs> their enzymatic structure and activation and all that good stuff. So, right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a major missing component. Um, and so, you know, what we're talking about here is. Um, these liver enzymes, and these are largely in the system and that's called the cytochrome P450 system. And this is um, a number of different genes that create these liver enzymes that break down different compounds and substances. There's a bunch of different ones and they're all shaped a little differently and are responsible for different classes of medications. And they break down things that you eat as well, like ca you know, caffeine and um, compounds from herbs and, and other foods. Um, but because of genetic differences, people can produce very different amounts of these enzymes. Uh, sometimes, you know, tenfold differences or more between the way someone is going to break down a substance versus someone else. And that means that, for example, if person A has a slow liver metabolism for THC, 
and, and this happens in a, a liver enzyme called, called CYP2C9. Um, and person B has a fast liver metabolism of THC. Well, if they both take a 10 milligram edible, then person A is going to feel it way stronger than person B because they're not breaking it down fully. It's staying in their bloodstream and person, person B is breaking it down really quickly and it's not quite as impactful. And you see this across the range of, of different medications. And this is what I've been working on you know, with the test I developed to help people really be able to pin this down. And with CBD, it's even, um, I think even more helpful because you don't have the subjective effects to go on. With THC, you can know if you're too high or you didn't get high at all. But with CBD, it's a little bit more of a black box because you can't really gauge it. You just have to look at how the symptoms change over time. And one of the big benefits that I've seen for people using this test is people that have tried CBD once before, like you said, maybe they went out and got a bottle of 100 milligrams and you know are using small amounts, you know, five, 10 milligrams. And we do their genetics and find out that they're a fast or ultra fast metabolizer. And that's just a way low dose for those people. And then they go back and, you know, try, you know, 30, 50 milligrams or, or whatever the higher dosage range is at a time. And all of a sudden, like they're getting the results that they wanted to get. And so, you know, it, it's really a matter of understanding how is your body tuned to respond to these substances and being able to match the right optimal dosage with your body. And, and so, um, you know, this is really the next generation of personalized kind of customized care and utilization of, of, of medicines, you know, regardless of if they're pharmaceuticals or if they're plant compounds, our bodies are different and having some information about that can be profoundly helpful for fine tuning the right amount. Oh yeah. So helpful. I mean, even yes, medications, uh, supplements, but even something as simple as like how your body metabolizes or assimilates B vitamins. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, there, you know, I don't think a lot of people understand too the role of B vitamins in the body. So they are cofactors, meaning they, they are a required piece for a chemical reaction to take place an essential chemical reaction to take place. And there's many of them, but if you don't have enough, then that reaction is not going to take place. Or if, your body metabolizes it differently or doesn't, you know, with, if you have, I'm sure some people have heard of the MTHFR SNP or the different COMT SNPs that can affect, you know, your methylation, your detox pathways, all of these things, then it can create, create such a profound variance in what we would consider normal. And, and I'm using that word air quotes <laughs> and that word in air quotes, but I, I don't think there really is such a thing as normal. And I think that's why we do need to go to more of a personalized approach to really help people really tune, fine tune their own health with something as simple as, you know, even the vitamins that they take. Right, exactly. And that's a lot of the work I do with people is looking at each one of the vitamins and giving people an understanding of, hey, is this something that you need more of or less of? And what specific forms are your body going to you know, work well with? And like when you look at B, something like B12, there's so many different pathways you have to take into account. You know, a lot of people will just look at MTHFR and that's just a, a very small piece of the picture. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the TCN genes, the transcobalamin transporters that are going to help B12 actually get into the cell. Um, there's this, and talking about gut health, there's, uh, there's this gene called FUT2 that has to do with um, 
actually how your body creates um, blood group antigen markers that live on the surface of um, mucosal lining. Mm -hmm. And it changes the gut um, the gut balance for people that are what they call non-secretors of FUT2. And those people tend to have elevated B12 levels. And people that are, are um, secretors tend to have lower B12 levels because of the way that the gut microbiome uh, uses and excretes B12. So you got to look at all of these different pieces together and then look at, you know, how B12 fits into the choline cycle. And, and it's like, it's this beautiful symphony, right? It's, it's how oh, all yeah. these pieces fit together. Um, and, and so, you know, I guess I'm, I'm saying this because I, I think a lot of people kind of oversimplify the... Uh, you know what genes are being looked at and yes. uh, you know as someone who's been doing this for a while it's like i know i'm only looking at a small sliver of it and yet i think i'm looking at more pieces than most people do yeah <laughs> you know? well and i think some have gotten definitely more airtime depending on you know which books they read or in mm -hmm. podcasts and those sorts of things and i do think there are some that have you know like the you know our detox pathways which are so important on so many different levels and so, but yeah, so we're, we're also learning more and more and more faster and faster and faster. And so that's why I think it's so important to have people like you that are experts in the field, helping educate people like me that like know a little bit about it, but want to know more. And like those, like, where do we go to, to find those reliable people with the reliable information that we can trust to then bring to our patients and our clients? Yeah, well, I appreciate you kind of tagging me as, as a reliable person. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice to hear that feedback. Um, but yeah, that's why I've put out this, uh, the Canada DNA practitioner course. Um, basically, what I did is went through the literature, pulled every single study I could find that exists on cannabis nutrigenetics and, and individual genetic variations and just put it all in one place. Because this is what I found when I started looking into this is that there was not accessible information. You really had to just go through PubMed, do your own research, you know, create these right. lists. And uh, so that's what I went ahead and did is just, you know, create, create the list, create the, the, uh, the resources mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, I liked acting, I like acting as a translator, right? Like I'm going to try and translate oh, yeah. as much scientific jargon as I can to be able to be usable by people yeah. who you know, are not as, as hyper-focused and geeky as I can be when I get into a project <laughs> like that. It's like, I, I see, you know, my role as someone who can, who can take advantage of, uh, I guess, my, uh, my obsessive nature and kind of just build out these, these things that make it a little bit easier to use this stuff for people. Yeah, awesome. So if we, like, um, as a consumer that maybe uh, I haven't done my DNA testing yet, mm -hmm. what, where would you recommend that I go? Mm -hmm. Because there's so there's a lot more options. It used to, <clears throat> excuse me, it used to be just 23andMe, and now there's more. So what would you suggest? Yeah, so I'm really partial to the company that I work with, Apiron, uh, Apiron Genomics. Um, we have a test that is based on 23andMe's test, and so we took all the SNPs that were uh, in their version four test, which is the one they ran from 2013 to 2018. And a lot of people don't know this, but in late 2018, they actually changed their chip and they got rid of a lot of the really important health SNPs that can be useful to look at. And so, um, I think the current 23andMe is almost next to useless. If you're really trying to do health investigation stuff for yourself. Okay. Um, so version yeah. four is version like four, if, 
yeah if you've already done it then that's the one that to the raw data that you want to sort of hold on to yeah 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 if you if you have the version four like it's a pretty good test uh i'm really partial to the appear on test uh because we do it through a private lab you own your data and that's another issue with 23andme is they own your data technically and they license it and sell it to other companies who are doing research and you don't get any you know nothing from it so you know with our test you own your data we're really concerned about privacy and and really making sure that um you know you're in charge of your data we have no rights to it um and um I, I love that test because it's built on the version four, but then we've added a couple, about a hundred thousand or so extra snips that- A couple you, versus a hundred thousand, I like that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 uh, and so it's it's pretty pretty useful as far as really looking into the, the, the health dynamics uh, and it works really well with the, the appear on test that I like to run uh, as well as the Canna DNA test that I developed. Um, and it also actually, it's in the same, and the, the nice thing is the raw data is in the same format as 23andMe, like the text file itself. So if you want to go and upload it to any of the other third-party services that accept 23andMe, uh, mm-hmm. it will be compatible with those as well. So it's, okay, it's pretty, cool. it's pretty flexible. Um, and as far as I know, it's, it's like the best value for the most amount of health-related SNPs um that i'm aware of with the privacy awesome yeah i think the privacy is is a big thing and i again i think it's it's one of those things like if you don't read the fine print then you really have no idea but this is your dna (laughs) you know (laughs) so it's important i think to you know be aware of how that if you know we you're submitting it to get information back but then who are you submitting it to and how are they using it or not you know yeah yeah, and, and you know, I mean, that's twenty three in me as business model from the start is we'll give people cheap DNA tests and then sell the data. You know, they don't make a lot of money on the sequencing or anything like that. They're kind of breaking even, breaking mm-hmm. even on that. But their revenue model is to sell data. So yeah, they're a business, so they got they got to make money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's say that um, now, so I've got my uh, DNA sequence and I have this information. And so as a consumer, if I were the one telling, like talking to a friend of mine, I would say you need to find a practitioner to work with that knows what they're looking at and knows how to interpret it for you. But are there other like maybe like um, empowering questions that a patient can come to their practitioner with? Or, you know, like what would you suggest Instead of just saying, here it is, now read it back to me. Because I'm, you know me, I am very much like, I want to empower people to be advocates and be active participants in their own healthcare. And I think it should be a conversation between the practitioner and the patient. I'm not a fan of giving away your power to a practitioner in any field. (laughs) I don't care if it's integrative functional or Western medicine. So what would you suggest from that perspective? Right. I, I love the way you phrase that, like really using it as something that's going to empower you as the client or the patient to be able to make changes in your life that are positive. And so I use that as a bit of a litmus test. If you get a genetic test back that just gives you predispositions, you're going to have this, you might have this disease or that disease, and there's not really any actionable info, what, you know, there's not much point to that. Like Mm -hmm. you want to be able to work with someone who knows how to look at 
not just, you know, hey, is this gene or this variant create a higher likelihood of this disease or that disease, but what are the epigenetic environmental triggers or things that contribute to the development of that? And, and how can you change your lifestyle to, to really optimize health? And so, you know, I would say if so, you know, someone gets their, their data back first, I think trying to find a practitioner that's familiar with this information is helpful because it's very it's a very different way of looking at genetic data than lab tests or other things that a lot of practitioners are familiar with mm-hmm. and you really want to find someone that has good training and ha- and and like really advertises this as a specialty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen a lot of horror stories of people just bringing genetic tests to their doctors who don't know how to look at this stuff. And I think more people, more doctors and practitioners are getting training. Um, but I, I hate to say it, but you can't expect good guidance from someone who doesn't know how to work with this information specifically, even though they are very smart and intelligent and know how to work with other types of information. So yeah. it's, it's a pretty niche way of looking at the body and a pretty specific mentality and perspective that needs to be in place in order to really empower you know, someone to, to use this information well. So um, you know, I, I would say try and see someone out who has it as a specialty. Uh, and then at the very least, you know, try and educate yourself on how to think about it. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, 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 you know, my, my favorite resource probably is self-hacked or self-decode, okay. um, you know, just from a, a patient perspective. And I, I will say that I think that um, it can be overwhelming to people to look at some of the information on there. But if you're really trying to do a deep dive, like it's got, it's got very good information. Um, And it, 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 okay. No, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say it. uh, I think they they've done some of the best work on aggregating a lot of genetic data in one place and looking at, okay, you know, what are the action items from it? Um, Again, I'm really partial to the appear on tests and and the reports Mm -hmm. that I use, because I think we, do a bit of a better job making it simultaneously easy to understand and Mm -hmm. in-depth. Like there's this kind of balancing act you see in the genetic testing world where some people way oversimplify and you miss the fine details in order to give people, you know, direct to consumer reports that just like don't really have a lot of teeth. You see that with 23andMe's health reports. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I did 23andMe several years ago. And I think that was like the biggest disappointment when they actually, you know, gave me my results. I was like, really, this is how you're reporting this out. Right. <laughs> so I was like, oh, so I immediately went and downloaded my raw data. I'm like, all right, I got to find something better than this. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm exactly. glad I did it to have the raw data, but now. <laughs> yeah, it's totally milk um, yeah. and unimpressive. <laughs> yeah. But uh <laughs> But then you get things on the other end of the spectrum, um, where you're like Prometheus or self-hacked might fall in this category as well a little bit, but there it's so complex and there's so much conflicting information where you're looking at this SNP codes for a decreased in uh, likelihood of this and this one codes for an increased likelihood and you have to see like 10 SNPs in a row that all just have this like, I, I don't, you, you don't know how to make sense of it. Right, um, yeah. And so that's why I like the appear on reports. I, I like the way the appear on trained coaches tend to work with clients because it's a matter of translation. It's like looking at, you know, okay, how do these things actually balance out? How do they relate to what's going on in your body now? Uh, yeah, and exactly. How do, 
and how do they relate to your goals? And then let's, you know, look at the priorities here. Like what are the things that, you know, out of these 500 SNPs we're looking at, you know, what are the top couple of things that are going to move the needle and actually get you towards where you want to be? So that's yeah. where I see the role as the practitioner is to help filter that information and, you know, simplify it in a way that still has the detail in mind. Yeah. So I think as a patient or consumer, it's important to be aware of what your goals are when you come to. So you're like, okay, I did this testing. So also, you know, get clear on your symptomology, what's going on with you and what do you, where do you want to go from where you are now? And because that's such an important piece is again, this is not happening in a vacuum and yes your dna has this structure that's essentially what the report is telling you this is your structure and then it'll translate out to different enzymatic reactions in your body but you the you need to correlate that with how are you feeling what happens when you eat certain things or what happens when you know are you sleeping are you not sleeping all of the things you know and so and really creating that um that visual and that um i don't know what i'm missing a word right now but you know what i mean maybe the the the, yeah the map the symphony the whole you know the big picture (laughs) right And, and the important thing to keep in mind too is that the map is not the territory that you can have a really good map but if you don't know how it's actually translating to what's on the ground then it's still just, you know, kind of this abstract thing. And, you know, this is the reason why that looking at genetics is very different from looking at, say, a lab test, because genetics give you probability. You can have someone with the same MTHFR variant, and one might be expressing, you know, poor methylation, and the other one might not be because of a lot of other factors. And so part of the role of the practitioner is to assess that, right? Or part of the role of, like, you as a patient is to know, like, or it's to figure out like, you know, is this something that I should be concerned about or not? Because I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many people will come to me and go, I've got the MTHFR mutation, which we can uh, talk a little <laughs> bit about why mutation is not a good way to talk about this. Yeah. Uh, and people get scared and, and have a lot of fear. And that has nothing to do with what's going on for them. But they've yeah. seen it online. They've seen people talk about it and they get in their head that that's the problem. And, you know, based on their goals and their symptoms, uh, it's really not a big deal for them. And and so, you know, the being able to match the genetics, like you said, the the structure with the epigenetics, how things are interacting with that structure to create health or disease or or whatever, you know, is going on for you. uh, That's the magic. It's Mm -hmm. matching the genetics with the epigenetics and the environmental inputs into your body um, that create the disease. And, you know, there's a, there's a saying that, um, you know, genetics load the gun and epigenetics pulls the trigger. It's -hmm. the genetics that's going to create the conditions for things to manifest or not. And then it's the environment and what you do with your body that actually makes the, you know, makes things a reality or not. And so the, using the genetics as this guide to be able to say, what are the things that I want to, you know, have in my life or avoid in my life? Like that's where the magic is. It's not just knowing, Hey, I've got this gene or I've got this snip. It's knowing really what to do with it. Right. Um, yeah, we are not a victim of our genes. <laughs> and I right. think that's, that's still a concept that's perpetuated in Western medicine a lot. And I think especially 
when we look at the oncology side of things, you know, mm-hmm. cancer medicine. And so um, I, yeah, that's something that I reinforce with my patients a lot. You are not a victim of your genes. You have power. You can change your behavior, change what you do, and it will change the expression of what's happening. And so, and even sometimes reminding my contemporary practitioners of that, um, you know, just to help them look at things a little bit differently when they're designing treatment regimens and and that sort of thing is let's start looking at it from an empowered perspective not a powerless victimized perspective exactly Um, and and maybe we want to use a specific example here um you know one of the the most well-studied genes is this gene called apoe that is related to alzheimer's and dementia risk and there's a specific variant of this that um, when you look at the population, I mean, it's, it's a pretty strong risk factor for developing. And it's, you know, some people with this variant, people can have an eight to 10 times risk higher than the average of developing dementia. Yet, not everyone with that gene variant develops dementia. And what has come out of the research is that it's lifestyle that really makes that difference. When people eat a diet that's low in saturated fat and exercise regularly, their risk of dementia goes down to the average with that gene variant. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, people that have that gene variant and tend to eat a you know kind of standard American diet and don't get a lot of movement, well, that's what actually elevates the risk in combination with that variant. So mm-hmm. again, it's, it's the interaction between the genes and lifestyle that really matters more than your genes. You know, it's really matter, it really matters what you do way mm-hmm. more than what genes you have. And yet it still really matters what genes you have because you need to know what you should be doing. Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. So let's wrap things up. And on that note of empowerment, what, where can people go to really start making those decisions for themselves? So we've already talked about um, your preferred testing resource. Are there any other resources, books? Like, what is your, what do you feel about the book Dirty Genes? Do you feel like that's a good introduction? Are you familiar with the book or do you feel like that's maybe that's one of those culprits where it's like, ooh, too general yeah. and <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I feel like you know, I like some of what Ben Lynch does, but I have to say, like, I still don't like the framing of dirty genes. Like it's it's this you have bad genes mentality. Oh, yes, with the mutation. Yeah, you alluded right. to that earlier. It, yeah. it still feels yeah. like there's this fear-based thing and embedded within it. I think yeah. you know, a lot of the information is good, but I, I I don't think that it creates an empowered perspective for people. People that I, I tend to find coming from his world have this very frantic fear-based like there's something wrong with me mentality mm-hmm. and it, it i don't think it serves people um you know but at, at the at, at the same time i think the information's pretty good um again i'm i'll, I'll just name self-hacked uh, okay. as, as the website if, right. <laughs> if, if people want to do the research like i think they're very balanced i think they do a good job of like like it it's super deep like if you want if you want to find something and how its genetics are related to it like go just go look it up there okay um you know in terms of resources i've also got some articles you can read on my site Um, okay yeah we can link to those in the show notes for sure mm -hmm. yeah Um, yeah you know um i I wish i had a a book off the top of my head but nothing nothing's coming right now that's okay yeah 
Because I do feel like, especially being both a practitioner and a consumer myself within this realm, is that I feel like the information is almost too simplified, oversimplified, or way, way, way complicated, which is like very geared towards the practitioner, Mm -hmm. or, you know, like, again, like, fear based with the, these are, quote, what could be wrong with you aspects, which is, uh, you know, what we want to get away from. So um awesome are you with this um new training program are you also compiling maybe a list of practitioners that people can go to that have completed or is that something maybe you think you might do in the future is as people complete your training like maybe start compiling a a resource list so that people can like maybe find practitioners in their area or yeah well we do have a listing on the appear on coaches site and it it will say can a dna certified coach for the ones that have have finished the training so you know there's a general appear on training that does lifestyle epigenetics and nutrition and then we're adding the coaches that have completed the can of dna on there as well so you know people can go there and and look at providers or they can get in contact with me and uh if they want to run one of those tests as well awesome okay anything else before we finish up that you feel like needs to be said discussed or brought attention to or anything else that's like a burning desire. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, we covered okay. a lot and I, I just yeah. really appreciate your perspective and feels like we're very aligned in terms of, you know, what is like the way to use this information for empowerment, for really allowing someone to know their body and have both self-awareness and actionable stuff to do. And, yeah. you know, I'll, and I have to say too, like, you know, a lot of people look at genetics as something very complicated and it is complex. And yet a lot of the recommendations that come out of it can be very simple. You know, sometimes oh, yeah. it, can, it can be just making a small tweak here, or small tweak there that makes a big difference for people. And so, you know, I think maybe what I'll leave people with is like, um, you know, it, it, it can be overwhelming depending on what information you're looking at, mm-hmm. but maybe you use that as a little bit of a benchmark to where if it feels overwhelming, take a step back and see if you can find someone to help you kind of interpret it and work with. Right. Yeah. Because regardless of where you go to submit your information and get your raw data back, you will be given a report of some sort. So it will give you some sort of baseline information to go from. And, and the detail that is involved in that will vary based on which route you choose. Um, but yes, like don't get discouraged and don't run straight to the fear place, (laughs) you know, like, remember that this is a time of unprecedented resources. And while it can be information overwhelm, it can also be so powerful and so empowering to know that, okay, I have this information. Now I just need someone to um, help me navigate through it. Where can we find you? So let's go there. Okay, great. So my website is david-krantz.com, david-krantz.com. And, you know, anyone that's interested in doing some work together or figuring out if we're a good fit, um, you can book a free 30-minute consult or just send me a message and um, we'll see what, what we can do. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much. And we are going to have you back for a complete series. And I think our next episode, we're going to dive into some psychedelics, right? Excellent. Well, I really look forward to that. Yes, me too. All right. So thank you again for being here.